Welcome to the Behind the Wind podcast. I'm Lauren Lane. For 50 years now, the LSI team has dedicated themselves to the science of business development. We've seen the impact of our work and how it's evolved into economic development and now social impact work. This week, Shauna and I have the opportunity to talk to Alan Belichico, one of LSI's consultants and a phenomenal proposal manager, to have an in-depth discussion on color teams and what it looks like when LSI reviews and creates a winning proposal from start to end. Let's begin. Alan, I uh, appreciate you spending the time with us this morning. I know you're so busy and I mean, I know you're entrenched in a, a major proposal right now, but I really have been looking forward to this conversation. As I've said to you and everybody in the company, everybody that'll listen to me, I've worked with hundreds of proposal managers over the last 30 years. You're the best. I love working with you. I think you're the best proposal manager in the world. And, and not just because of your win rate, which is amazing, which is nearly perfect, but just your strategy, your methodology, your, your process, your bedside manner. <laughs> you are the best proposal manager I've ever worked with. And I have worked with hundreds of proposal managers in my career. Well, we, just, we should end this conversation now because it can't get any better. It's not going to get any better than that. We are so lucky to have you as part of our team. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate working with you and having you represent our company within our client base. It's just, it's incredible. Well, my pleasure. In fact, I really enjoyed Cal Fire getting to meet uh, a lot of the people that I've heard about or talked to on the phone, but now I uh, have a personal experience with them. That was amazing. You know, here's a, just a story that made you made me think of. Uh, after we had acquired Shipley in the early 2000s, we used to do this. We would do a weekly resource and sales meeting. And every meeting without fail, Steve Shipley would turn to me and say, I mean, we'd, we'd be talking about some major upcoming proposal that uh, we had to resource. And every... Every week, Steve Shipley would say, he'd turn to me and say, if the company's future was dependent upon one proposal, who would be your proposal manager? This was every week. That's you, Alan. I, without question, if, if our company was, if our company's future was dependent on one proposal, you'd be our proposal manager. So I'm excited to have this discussion with you. You, know, we, you and I recorded an episode October of 2021. I think it was pushed in early, like the first week in November. I can't, which I can't believe that it was that long ago. It seems like a few weeks ago that we did that. I remember I was in DC and you were in DC and, and it, it, you know, that, that episode has received so much visibility. We talked about you know, your overall process, we talked about how the proposal market is changing and our interface with our clients are changing. We talked about your interface with the, with the capture team. And if anyone has not listened to that episode, I, I would encourage you to do that before listening to this episode, which we're going to get pretty granular on color team reviews. So listen to that episode if you haven't. I think it was, the date of it was the 8th of November of 2021. But I, can you believe it was that long ago? It seems like a few weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, sure does. It's amazing. So last year, you and I had the opportunity to work on a large internal LSI proposal, which have you, have you worked at internal LSI and organic proposal previously? I, I don't think you had. That's the one and only. Okay. So so it was almost like you're working with a new, I mean, you knew a, a lot of the players, but it was almost like you were working with a new client. And the proposal was, I mean, the, 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 the value of the proposal was about 250 million. So big for LSI. I mean, that's that was a big win for us, but small in terms of the proposals you usually work, which are multi-billion dollar proposals. I think the total proposal page count was about 500 pages. So, you know, mid-sized proposal. In the old days, that would have been a small proposal. 
you know, but I, I think, so we won that proposal that spoiler alert, that was, uh, we worked on that most of last year, received the award last month. And I think it was the third largest contract, single contract that we've won in the 50 year history of the company. And you were the proposal manager, which, and you pulled me in. I was really honored that you asked me to serve on the color team, both strategy and execution, which was so much fun. I loved it. I loved working with you. I loved the, I loved everything about it. What I want to talk with you about during this episode is your approach to color teams and how you look at color team strategy and execution both. So maybe you could just start about and, and talk about your overall thoughts on successful color team reviews, what works, what doesn't, what are some of the things that you're thinking about when you get to a color team review? Yeah, well, yeah, starting at the 50,000 foot level, iteration is what makes a proposal good. <laughs> and uh, the more you iterate it, the better it gets. And, and that's the whole strategy behind color teams is that you uh, want to go through multiple times, you know, the industry standards three times, but uh, I've had clients that uh, have done it uh, more and I've had schedules that only allowed one or two, but uh, that's the key to success to improve both the quality and the compliance. The standard is uh, three. They typically go by the term pink team, red team, and gold team. Uh, not everybody are using those terms universally uh, around the uh, marketplace, but uh, that's kind of by far the, the biggest standard. You know, pink team's pretty simple. Uh, it's your first look at what you would consider to be about 80% of the content in place. And all you need to focus on is the content. You really need to emphasize that with the reviewers. Don't give me any comments about the commas out of place or that graphic could use a little different color scheme. We we're trying to tell a story, and until you get that story put on paper, all that other detail just isn't important. So uh, that, that's the main focus, and, and the key to success to get what you want out of these reviewers are to really focus them at the beginning of the review with, with an expectation of what they should look at and what might be a little early to um, spend any time on. What drives these color teams? Is it is it typically schedule? Do you, when you're laying out the overall, the strategy for a proposal, I mean, I know, because I, I've worked some of these with you, I know you're, I know how you think, but what, when you're looking at a large, especially a complex proposal, what drives the color team review? How much time do you look at when at a macro level when you're trying to build out we've got the rf we've you know we've started the we've started the proposal hopefully in advance of the rfp as we talked about previously that the rfp is going to be released and there's going to be a due date when we have to submit the proposal what is your thinking on how much time we need to develop the content before we transition into color team? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, the schedule will be the ultimate determiner of uh, how many uh, reviews and when you have them. But basically, uh, my experience has been pretty simple. The more time you give people to get that initial story on paper, the better the quality is going to be. So uh, I'd much rather give ourselves maybe as much as a third of the time for the entire proposal process just to uh, get to that pink team. And if need be, even maybe just a tad bit more. And then once you got that storyline, the second review, the red team, that, that's a pretty meaty review. You get out the butcher knife and you go after it. There, there are, there's junk in there that needs to come out. There's missing storylines. You've got to focus on compliance. Did you hit every single requirement clearly? <laughs> and did you do the, the, what I call the trinity? Uh, for each requirement, did you tell them uh, how you're going to do it? Did you tell them what you're going to do? And did you tell them the benefit of doing that? 
And, you know, without those three pieces, you just can't get the optimum score. So the red team gets to be very in-depth, a lot of review comments, and subsequently the recovery takes a while. And then last but not least, the goal team typically needs far less time to recover. You know, at that point, you should be focused predominantly on um, the selling messages. You know, we've... Uh, the themes, are they in there? Do they come out? Do you repeat them often enough to make it, the story stick? Are they well-written? Are they um, kind of catchy from the standpoint of presentation, you know, call-out box or thesis statements or et cetera? And at that point, you can recover in, in just a day or two, usually is my experience. You're not rewriting section. <laughs> if you are, you're in bigger trouble <laughs> than you think. But you're fine-tuning at the goal team. So that uh, usually is a small window of time on the schedule. Let's back up for just a minute. One thing that uh, I, I think is interesting, I, I think I mentioned this in our last discussion, but I found a document as we were preparing for our 50-year anniversary last year and had this uh, <laughs> We had had a we had a storage offsite storage facility that we had rented for years. That I just decided we don't need these documents. We went through them and purged a lot of it. But in 1973, I found a document that talked about capture. I mean, and people think that that this term of capture is relatively new, but then also discussed color team reviews as part of this overall campaign and specifically a pink team and green team and red team that was in 1973 again that is you know the shipley that shipley takes credit for inventing the color team process i mean i think it's been around i think it was around even before the before LSI, but 1973, that was early in this proposal philosophy and, and discipline, science of proposal development. So, I, I mean, I just think that's interesting. When you look at a proposal, are you, I, mean, I know a lot of proposal managers will have multiple color teams that include, you know, Burley Brunson, who I, I think is one of my mentors and I think highly of came out of Lockheed you know, he would always have a blue team which he would call strategy and it was you know after the gate review that we were going to that the company was uh, going to move forward with this campaign he would hold a blue team the proposal manager would be there and then you know he would he had a dozen color team reviews for your process, are you only looking at pink team, red team, and gold team? From the time the RFP drops, there's little time for anything more. Um, Especially strategy now. reviews and you know things like that really need to precede uh, the RFP dropping. So your most of your even your large proposals that you work for us, pink team, red team, gold team. That's it. Those are your color reviews. Predominantly, yes. When you are looking to build strong color teams, first of all, let me ask you, how often how often does the client dictate this is who's going to be on the color team versus you saying, I'm going to build out my own color team? <laughs> and yeah, what kind that's of a good question. Uh, uh, what kind of individual are you looking for? I mean, ideally, what type of individual do you want to to have in your have a strong pink team red team gold team uh, i'm looking for practitioners if i'm asking somebody to look at the project management stuff ideally somebody who's run a project of comparable size scope and complexity uh, same thing for the solution architect you know have they implemented this particular type of solution or similar solution before. And then, of course, management people. Uh, you need confirmation that the commitments we're going to make are uh, ones they're willing to back up as we kind of get down the 
the last thing you're going to do is uh, change some of those uh, big commitments at the last second. So I, I'm looking for a pretty diverse team and a pretty senior team. I, I need people that can quickly not only size up what's wrong, but the real value of a good gold team or any color team is offering suggestions on what to do next. How often are you told by the client, and I because I, I know this happens, this is who's going to be on our color team. I mean, is that quite often? Uh, no, they're, they're more often than not, they're receptive. They are. Um, of course, there's always that exception. You work such a broad spectrum of proposals. And why I think you're so successful is that you're this continual learner. You It doesn't matter if it's some highly technical guidance system proposal that you're working or aircraft maintenance or whatever it is. I mean, you, you, and you have seen this huge spectrum of products and services that, that you're working this, these proposals. And I love that you, you learn you, this is an opportunity for you to learn about new things and you become good at and conversant at least on telling this story of the product or service that we're proposing. How important is it for the members of the color team to be subject matter experts on the subject? It's important. Maybe not the end all be all do all. Client knowledge is also very important. And if you've got somebody who may be not an expert in a particular aspect of the uh, proposal, but they know that client inside and out, that's invaluable. I know that these color teams that you had me work with you, which like I said, it was so fun. It was, it was felt like I was in the presence of greatness working with you as a member of one of your color teams. It was so fun. I loved it. But I remember you, you really talking about Who's going to make the decision? What's their personality? What are they? What are some of the things that is, is going to be important and valuable to them? Even if even if it was not in the RFP, how do you build these teams where you've got the right customer expertise, subject matter expertise itself, and, and compliance? And is that sort of what you think about when you're building these teams? Yeah, the subject matter expertise and the uh, client expertise are invaluable. Most companies have the subject matter expertise or they wouldn't be chasing it. Uh, but if it's a new client, uh, they've got to go find that uh, client expertise, whether they subcontract for it or hire a consultant to help them write to it. If, if you don't have that, you're, you're missing a golden opportunity to tell the client what they want to hear. Exactly. And that is, I understand your problem and I've got an idea how to solve it. One of the challenges from experience, one of the challenges that I see as a lot of times we'll, we'll have our clients say to us, we want our CEO, our COO, our CFO, our senior vice president. We, they're all going to participate in, a, in these color team reviews. What's the challenge with that? I mean, they're so busy that oftentimes they have difficulty carving out the time necessary. I mean, they're not going to read a 500-page document. We've seen a lot of color team reviews where we've had senior leadership comprise the color team. They give us these really benign recommendations that, that don't address significant gaps that exist in the document. I mean, that, <laughs> how, how do you work that issue? Yeah, it, uh, that can be a challenge. Um, you know, my experience is that uh, company culture has a lot to do with uh, reviews. Some companies, uh, I'll name one by, uh, that I used to work at, Northrop Grumman. There was nothing more important than a review. Yes. They would muster the appropriate resources, put them in a room for days if need be, and they were expected to participate. And if they didn't, 
that was discussed. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas um, nowadays, a lot of companies have really cut down on their overhead, their indirect staffs. So everybody's uh, 110% oversubscribed and just finding the, uh, the right people to participate. Uh, an ever increasing problem that I see more and more all the time is you have to assign 20 to get 10 to show up. And then those 10, <laughs> you gotta get the right 10 to get five of them to, to participate. And it just didn't do you any good to have a review if you're not getting any feedback. So pink team's always a learning curve at a new client. But if you don't make an adjustment by the time you get the red team, you're in trouble. So when, I mean, this is a great point. I love, I love your thinking on this. So typically when you're building out the red team, you'll have, it'll be big. It'll be 20 people. Maybe you'll look at what kind of, value each member of the team is providing and then they will advance to red team is that sort of your mm-hmm. thought? Yeah. Yeah. and then if you know if somebody you get no no feedback at pink team they may not make make it to the red team uh, yeah. they're providing no value yeah. do you typically have a philosophy that you want this contiguous review from pink, red to gold? In general, yes. With a couple caveats, you know, if you get folks that aren't necessarily helping out. (laughs) And then um, one thing I feel really strong about is, uh, you know, that continuity kind of helps you see the doc. You got multiple eyes watching the document mature. So there's value in that. But uh, one thing is gold team, it is way, way too late for the good idea guy to show up for this yeah. first look. Right. Um, yeah. There's little time. And when you start screwing with the storyline, you can do as much damage as good. Okay. So let's, let's bookmark that and come back to it because I want to talk about that. I know it's a, a, an issue, but so going back to just some mechanics, Talk about you've you you now have a foundation content foundation document moving into pink team. You have selected twenty people to participate on pink team or whatever you know whatever the team looks like. What is your overall strategy for pink team and how do you execute? Well, in general, you need multiple sets of eyes on every section. You need to make sure you don't overburden somebody that uh, you assign them so much that there's no reasonable expectation they can get through it. And then you want to make sure they're armed. You want to make sure they've taken a look at the RFP. You want to make sure they've looked at the SOW. You want to get the theme documents in front of them so that they kind of understand, you know, where you're headed. And then uh, it's important to stay in t- or be available to them. Um, People who are on new territory get stuck easy. So uh, it's important to be available to get them unstuck and and move them forward. Whether they think an idea is bad or they just have a problem with the mechanics. Do you typically hold a briefing? Does members of the pink team, do they come to a, a, you know, capture meeting, a... How do you get them prepared, even if they're subject matter experts, how do you get them prepared for this review? Well, it's a couple step process. The first one is you get the uh, invite on the calendar at least a week before is the goal. And in that invite, you make initial assignments so they can wrap their head around what they need to be thinking about. And then you make sure you provide uh, access to the RFP and the statement of work and uh, any other documents you want them to look at, you know, such as theming documents. And then I just uh, absolutely, in my heart of hearts, believe if you're not having a kickoff meeting before the review and you're not having a debrief meeting after the review, those are just missed opportunities. It's going to result in, you know, less of a quality event. And during that kickoff, you got to really focus on here's what I need you to do at this stage. And here's what, uh, don't waste your time on yet. (laughs) 
I love that your stand-up meetings are sacrosanct. Didn't matter what was going on. Everybody was expected to show up to your daily stand-up meetings. I, I love that. And if you weren't there, you, you needed an, <laughs> a note from your doctor as to why you're not there. I thought that, I, I mean, I just think that practice and discipline is, is critical to this process. One of the other things that I loved in working this red team with you or color team reviews with you is you would start out and say, you're assigned, your primary assignment is this section. Go to that first. Do not start on page one. <laughs> and we have seen this a lot over the years, right? Where we'll go into these color teams and there'll be hundreds of comments on the first three pages and nothing after that, right? Yeah. People run out of time yeah. or they lose interest and they're, you know, ADHD into something else. And uh, so I love that you were so adamant. Do not look at page one. You're going to go to your section and you gave a you know this finite time to review that section and then review the rest of the document. So, I mean, talk about that process. I mean, it's a little thing, but I thought that is so, that that's just uh, uh, illustrative of your experience seeing hundreds of comments at the first of the document, nothing at the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a lot of it's got to do with, you know, attitude. People have got the, uh, the mindset, oh, okay, I'm here to help. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to find things. I'm going to offer suggestions. Um, but as they read, you know, kind of drones on a little bit and they kind of, uh, kind of lose some of that enthusiasm. That's why you've got to get social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the strategy is simple. You need fresh eyes on every piece of the document. So you, that's got to be the starting point for somebody. And I love that you had this expectation that there was going to be a leader for every section. So, I mean, mm -hmm. when we talk about sections, whatever, it could be volumes, it could be, you know, these 10 pages, whatever. I, I mean, mm -hmm. it, 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 every RFP is a thumbprint and different, but for the, the point of this conversation, you look at the sections, you look at something that is reasonable, you assign a leader. Now, there may be other people that are also assigned to review that section first, but there's a leader who is going to debrief the team on his or her assessment of that section. I find that if you don't do that, and I do have a client or two that uh, don't invest that time, but uh, it's just a golden missed opportunity from the standpoint that, one, when you've got a leader... <laughs> It's a little more organized. And two, that um, you're deconflicting things. You know, uh, when somebody says, geez, they really should have talked about this topic. And somebody goes, no, no, you should have talked about that. I don't want that guidance to get back to the authors. Deconflict it amongst yourselves because you typically have pretty talented people on the review team. So that, that's issue number one. And then issue number two is during the actual debrief, I can pretty much say 99.9% .9 of the time, what gets stated during the debrief is they got nothing to do with the comments that are written down. You know, when you're writing, you're, you're, you're talking, oh, you know, you forgot the Oxford comma here and you did this and that. But when you're debriefing, particularly with executives, they're, they're talking strategy, high level. Oh, God, you really missed this point. And here's an opportunity to, to you know, beef this up and get this message to resonate. And um, so uh, I, I tell the uh, reviewers, and I, I use it myself as a checklist, you know, if, if they're not both paying attention to the detailed comment and the high level comment, you know, they're not going to score as well as if they uh, had paid attention to both. I think you said something that was, again, uh, it's a little point, but I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's critical that you're going to learn a lot during Pink Team. I mean, Pink Team needs to be scheduled early enough in the process that you're going to take and revise your overall strategy for the proposal development post Pink Team. And 
you're going to learn a lot about the personalities. You're going to learn a lot about who you can depend on, who's checked out, not invested in this. I, I mean, there's a lot that's going to happen as the proposal manager trying to keep this whole process on track. The other thing that I loved about your approach, Alan, and, and uh, you, you know, you've been leading proposals for a long time now, but what you probably don't know is a lot of proposal managers will give, you know, we're going to start a pink team or a red team and it's going to go all week. You don't have that same philosophy, Ed. I was telling somebody during this large proposal that we had worked together that I was one of those students that I got great grades, but usually I was doing my term paper the night before it was due, even though I had all semester to get it done. You know that that's the case, that whatever time you give the team, they're going to be doing it at the last minute if they do it at all. They're going to, they're going to fill that amount of time, and it's probably going to be not beneficial more time typically is not beneficial. Obviously, you need to determine it's a 500-page proposal. You know, we've we've got to have this block of time. But I, I love that you said to our our color teams, you get eight hours or less. That's it. That's what you get. So that changes the thinking of the team. It did for me, where I'm not. I probably would have done the same thing where. Oh, I've got all week and day one, I've, oh, I've got to answer emails and I've got to do this. And then, you know, four hours before the debrief, I'm, I'm cramming to get this done. I loved that you said, you've got eight hours. That's it. That's what you've got. And then you're going to brief the team at the end of this. I, I can say with absolute certainty that when a client has banged on my door and said, ah, we just don't have enough time. You know, halfway through the review, ah, we don't have enough time. We need to double the time. Nope. You know, let's give them an extra day or two. Nope. And I, the, the one or two times I didn't have an option, the obvious was obvious. The result was not any better. I got the same kind of half-hearted comments that I would have gotten if they'd done it quickly. You're really a genius, though. I mean, I say this in all honesty, that you're a genius in saying, this is our deliverable. Here's when we started the document. We're going to turn it in here. We've got to fit all of this in. You know, this we need this much time for content development, this much time for pink team, this much time for red team, this much time for gold team. How do you, do you have a formula? I mean, I know you've got an engineering mind. Do you have a formula that uh, somebody can read and review, somebody can, I mean, I do, I do this a lot myself. I know, I know what kind of content I can develop in a day. I just be from years of doing this. I know what my ability to develop content is in a day. And it's not much. It's a couple pages a day. That's it. I know, I know that from experience, but do you have a similar formula in your head based on a review team can review hundred pages in eight hours. I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you look yeah, at that? I do. You know, authors, I, I hate giving authors more than 15 pages. And because if you do, they're, okay. they're just going to get bogged down. And for the uh, whole proposal, they, 15 pages. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Then when it gets to be review time, you know, basically somebody who's doing a good review is probably doing less than 10 pages an hour. Yes, I agree. And uh, if, if you kind of expect them to do, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages, you need to give them that amount of time. But then, you know, at what point are you getting more of the same? You know, you, you want fresh eyes. <laughs> so you're getting thoughtful comments. So uh, I, you be just careful not to overburden your reviewers. Definitely. You've got some great tools and templates that you've developed over the years. And Within every one of these color team reviews, you would say, here's your template. I want you to look at compliance, content, and I mean, it's different things. Do you, do you want to talk about that for a minute? I thought it was, I, they're really good. The best that I've ever seen. 
Well, it, it's important to focus the reviewers so that you get what you need and what the authors need. And subsequently, I've you know, fine-tuned the templates as a result of doing that. And one of the things, a funny story, one time I went to a review and somebody said, you took out that section. That was the best section in the whole proposal. Would you oh, I hear that all the time. That kills me. And it was, well, nobody commented on it, so we didn't think it was that good. And we needed, uh, we had page crunch. So one of the things now that I really emphasize is tell the review, as part of the review debrief, tell them what was good. I love that. And it's not to pat them on the head. It's to emphasize, okay, this is the quality that we're looking to benchmark. I love it. And uh, don't, don't screw with it. It's brilliant. <laughs> the other thing that you do well, I, I mean, being a proposal manager, as you know, sometimes it, you wear a lot of hats. And one of those hats is being the writer's <laughs> counselor and priest, right? How do you deal with a lot of these writers are emotional about their work, right? And how do you deal with the emotion of your writers when they get slammed? I mean, this is, a, I tell people this all the time. You're going to be a proposal writer. You've got to have a, a thick skin because you're going to get the shit beat out of you over, the, over these reviews and you cannot be emotional about it. How do you deal with that? Oh, uh, that's pretty easy because um, you, you can't let it become an issue. One of the things you've got to emphasize with your writers repeatedly throughout, listen, it's not a matter of style being right or wrong or content. It's about being compliant and standardized. You got to be consistent from end to end. So if you want to do this style or you want to do this approach and people are changing it, you got to live with it. Because we're not going to have 10 authors in 10 different styles. We're going to have one style end to end. And in and, and general, that works. But another thing I learned, you can't suffer with people who aren't going to produce long. You, you got to figure out who's up to the challenge and who's not and deal with it early. If you're going to pay the price if you don't deal with it fast. And you are so good at that. You, you just, you're, you know, early on, nope. This person's not going to work. He or she's off the off the team. You are fantastic at that, and it is quick. I love that about you. Okay, so let's talk about now moving into red team. You know, we've got this great foundation. We've gone through pink team, which a lot of that is win themes, compliance. You know, overall gaps. Now you're going into red team. This is, I mean, this is, now you're getting to the point where are we ready to print? Well, the red team is the, uh, the epitome of the complete story. And if you better not have any holes in the story, but if you do, that's what the red team needs to do is find them and recommend specific approach to plug that hole. And not only do they validate that you've got a storyline from end to end, is it going to grade well? Does it answer to the three questions? Do we tell them what we're going to do, how we're going to do it? I can't tell you how many times I've heard debriefs where they said, you didn't tell us how. In fact, I just read a proposal. Uh, I'm doing one uh, now that uh, the, the client said, well, here's the one we did last time on the same one. And I read it and it just said, We'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do that. Not a single how in there. So if you're the reviewer, how are you going to grade him? One guy gives you 10 steps he's going to take to implement this thing, and you just say you're going to do it. How do you grade those? <laughs> not, not very uh, comparable in uh, content or uh, final grade. That's right. As a reviewer, and throughout my career in building proposals, what I'm always thinking about is if I was a member of the acquisition, the customer acquisition strategy panel, the review panel, the customer review panel, what am I going to, what's important to me? What am I going to be thinking about? A lot of RFPs, a lot of organizations, as you know, have gone to a quantitative approach to proposal review. 
where each section is going to get some quantitative value. This was how the proposal was reviewed, was uh, structured that we just did together last year. Each section had, I, I thought it was an interesting approach. It was uh, different than we have seen from this customer previously. But what they did was each, they gave each of the reviewers an opportunity to weight each section from one to four, one being the least important, four being the most important. So there were, if I remember right, 16 sections. The review team prior to the RFP going out would say, oh, this is critical. It needs to be in there and it's it's the most critical. We're gonna give it a four. This needs to be in there, but it, you know, it's a one. So they had a base score for every section, these 16 sections of one to four, one being the least important, four being the most important. Then the panel would read the sections and rate them one to four. So if it was a critical section and the proposer had excelled in their response, they would get a 16. They would multiply the panel's consensus by how important one to four the, the section was. Although, I mean, we I've typically thought about this in prior color team reviews for clients and internally both. And so thinking like your customer in that manner, where you're quantifying this, even if this is not a requirement of your of the proposal or the evaluation criteria, I think is helpful to quantify the response, come up with a consensus from the review team. Hey, it was a one to four. You do this by colors. You do it, I think, green, yellow, yeah, red. Stoplight chart. Stoplight chart, right. But thinking quantitatively about each section really drives the team to be objective and really not, you know, not get sucked into some of the non, the things that are not important. I, I can't tell you how many times I tell uh, authors, you know, when in doubt, read the instructions. Right. You know, the government went to the trouble of uh, documenting what's required and how they're going to grade it. So if, if you haven't gone through and kind of done a self-evaluation you missed an opportunity to make it better. Time and time again, when I'm talking to an individual author, the first thing I say, okay, let's look at what the evaluation criteria says. And if, if that's not driving the majority of your thinking during the review process, you're not going to grade well. And the one thing you got to remember about the evaluation is there are many different people from different walks of life. You've got contracts people, you've got program people, you've got technical people. So you, you've got to make sure you're talking to everybody. Yes. And that doesn't mean wishy-washy trying to you know, please everybody. But you, you've got to have that clear storyline and you've got to take the reader by the hand and take them to the conclusion you want them to come to. And, and you just can't hope that there's a leap of faith. Well, if I, if I do these five things and we're going to have a, a great success with this implementation. Now you got you got to lead them to that. By doing these five things, we'll achieve these results, which will you know produce a uh, an implementation with you know minimal defects or you know whatever the particular scenario is. So let's talk about goal team. And you've mentioned that really by the time we get to goal team, there's we're out of time. It really now is is there any simple modifications to the document that we can make to help improve our win rate. And talk about your theory of goal team. I mean, it's important. It's an important step, obviously. What are you looking for? What, what do you typically tell the goal team to be working in this a lot of time that they have? Uh, goal team. Uh, well, one, you want to just, Keep it, you always want to keep an eye out on um, the fact that it's uh, compliant, albeit this is not a compliance check. 
at this point, you've been through an edit. So if you see something that doesn't look right, say something. I don't need them to edit the document, but if they see a blunder, please call it out. Yep. And then the, the thing that I really need them to focus on is, uh, are we selling? Or are we getting the message through that this is the best solution because? Do your writers enjoy or dread the color team debriefs? I, I, do you typically find that your team is they like this or they hate it it you know it's a real mixed bag but in general i would say more people appreciate it than not but there's a, a couple golden rules you've got to put in place before the meeting starts this is not a debate the number of times i've uh, heard a, an author pipe up and say no you misread it <laughs> no they didn't nope <laughs> So the purpose of the debrief is not to get into a discussion. It's not the debate. It's not the solution. It's one-way feedback so we can take it, go offline, digest it, and come up with the strategy to get to the next level. And uh, I, I'll jump in real quick if I think that we're going down a rabbit hole. You just shut them down and say, you know, wait a minute. This yeah. is, yeah. Which is, is your role. I mean, ultimately your role as the as the proposal manager is is to ensure that we're submitting a winning proposal and uh, and this is one of your tools in the toolbox yeah and one of the things is if you start arguing with reviewers you're going to shut them down you know they're not going to give you the quality feedback you're looking for you know for the rest of the review or you know subsequent and uh, later reviews exactly one of the things that I, I see often in our work is especially the capture, the, the, you know, whoever's in charge, whoever's responsible. <laughs> what I often see, and we just did this, is they're playing these po the politics where they're trying to get their boss on these color team reviews, knowing that if the company is not awarded the, the contract, that they're not going to bear all of the blame that they can say, well, you reviewed this. It, you know, that's, uh, and then <laughs> we just saw this, uh, unfortunately, on a, on an engagement, which is, is rare, but I mean, I heard this capture lead say, well, we had the CEO, we had the COO, we had the CFO all review this and they didn't catch these gaps in the document. How do you deal with some of the politics of these proposal submissions? Well, you know, it's pretty darn simple that this is a team sport. Definitely. And when you start identifying individuals that you need a fault person to take the blame, that's not working. You know, there are teams of people every step of the way responsible to look at, validate, and ensure that things get done. Because we all know there's a pretty steep price to be paid if you uh, miss a compliance hurdle. So that's why it's not one person's job. And, uh, you know, everybody needs to bear the or shoulder some of that responsibility. One last thing as we wrap up, Alan, I've never, and I think this probably goes back to your engineering mind, I've never seen anybody that has better revision control than you. And let me tell you a story. We had a proposal that we submitted a few years ago. Not, I mean, you weren't on this. It was a, a, a different proposal team. The client took control of the document after we had done all of the reviews. They decided we're going to take, we had a proposal manager, an LSI proposal manager, an all LSI team, but the capture lead decides he's going to take control of the document at the end. He submitted, it had to be printed. He submitted the wrong version of the document. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like this. It's a, it was an $18 billion contract. It was probably a thousand page proposal. We submitted the, the document early. The client is going home. They had hand carried the document, flown it out on the plane to the customer site, 
submitted it, had it stamped, stamped in, did all the formal submission. I think the proposal due date was like in the next two days. So it was a little early, not significantly early. The capture lead was decides <laughs> the ultimate sin on the plane that he's going to review the document and he's flipping through it and then starts thinking this doesn't look right and had printed the wrong version had our team go back to the customer and say we submitted the wrong ver version we need to ch change out these pages and it was like 200 pages mm -hmm. i've never seen anything like it in my life i mean that is a horror story those are the kinds of things that keep me up at night and i'm sure you as well how do you manage document and revision control you're the best at this well, you need to have an established policy. Everybody needs to be aware of it. And I absolutely love the ability to lock a document. <laughs> that is awesome. And um, one thing that I've noticed about SharePoint that's a, a negative is uh, people email each other links. Yeah. And if you've got an old version and you throw it into archive and you're, everybody else is writing in a new version and they're clicking their link, they're in the archive working. Right. So you got to lock those documents you don't want them to be in. I, and I love it when I get an email. Hey, some knucklehead locked the document. I can't write yep. in it. And I go, that's right. Well, I'm that knucklehead. And that's because I don't want you writing in it. <laughs> that is your that is your your engineering mindset of hey, we got to we got to control these revs. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're that, that's amazing. I think that this art and science of proposal development is uh it's a, it takes a special individual somebody that is has the discipline has the ability to manage process has the i mean but you also need that creativity you need it really takes a very special person to be a good proposal manager and you're amazing. I really, it was so fun. It was such an honor to work with you last year on this document, Alan. And, uh, and I mean, we, we can announce we won, we won this contract. It's a, you know, huge, uh, this is a huge uh, contract for LSI. And, and I give you all the credit for this. It, you were amazing in your ability to put this together. It was a complex document. It was a, there were a lot of challenges in that RFP and you were brilliant in how you orchestrated this. Never seen anything like it. You was so fun to be a part of it. I just felt like, my gosh, I'm at the, you know, feet of greatness uh, working with you. It was amazing. Thank you. Well, the, the one thing I would say in closing, it's a team sport. And uh, you, you really need a lot of good people to make it a great document. It was incredible. Thank you for all you do for us, Alan. You, you're the best, the world's best. Thanks for carving out this time to, to talk with us. I, I love this. You have given so many great recommendations for this niche of the proposal development process. It's invaluable and, and I, uh, I, I loved it. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, you're it. You're welcome. Appreciate everything. Take care, Alan. Take care.